Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're now going to read the Bible together, so pick up a Bible, which uh, hopefully there should be one you're either sitting on or right next door to you or under your seat, and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, um, shout out a page number if you've managed to find 1048, 1048, uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, Becky is going to come and read the story of the prodigal son and then Toby's going to come and preach. Luke chapter 15, um, starting at verse 11, um, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came back to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house and heard music and dancing, he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Awesome. Thanks so much, Becky. Um, Hello. Good to see you all. Uh, Should we pray? And then then we'll get started. Father, we praise you for this story that Jesus taught. And we thank you for uh, everything that you have been showing us about your love for us. And please, Lord, keep showing us your love. Please, with your spirit, come and be at work among us now. Be showing us the love that you have for us and be helping us to receive it, to believe it uh, deep in the heart of who we are. 
We praise you, Lord, and please help us now. Amen. Amen. Um, we can probably all, it's not, this isn't something that we tend to think of now we've grown up a little bit, but we can probably remember uh, this scene um, from when we were, it, it will be coming soon, um, when we were children, uh, an agony that is unique to being children. Um, when uh, it's either the weekend or the summer holidays, and you just, you're just desperate to get outside. You want to get outside. Uh, you want to play sport. You want to run around. You want to build dens. Um, maybe you just want to sit on the grass and read a book, but just be outside. Um, you've been waiting and waiting, and finally it's time, and it's just hammering it down. And uh, it's just raining day after day, um, and you can't get out there, and you're stuck inside. Um, and the next day it's the same, and the next day it's the same. Um, and pretty soon you've exhausted all your indoor play options and you're just trapped, um, just desperate to get out there, but you can't. Um, uh, an agony that's unique to children may be shared in part by test cricket fans, um, some of us uh, longing for the cricket to go on, but actually it's raining and you can't play cricket in the rain. It's all just a bit ridiculous. Um, but pretty much, um, yeah, when we're children, um, that kind of... Uh, experience. Um, you're waiting and waiting, but then finally you wake up one morning and the clouds have gone, the rain has stopped, uh, the sun is shining, birds are singing, um, the sky is blue, and finally, at last, you can get out there. Um, you're finally free to run and enjoy uh, this day that's come. It's a new day. It's a new sort of state of um, reality that's arrived. But to enjoy this, enjoy this new reality, to enjoy this new state of things, enjoy this new day, um, you actually have to step out into it. You have to choose to live in it. You've got to choose to, to get out there and choose to receive it. You can know that it's true. You can see it and be looking at it and be believing that it's true, but not actually be out there, not actually be living in the reality of it, unwilling or unable to leave the house for whatever reason. Last week, we were thinking together um, about how the cross demonstrates undeniably God's unimaginable love for each of us and for this world, and how that reality is like the sun that is shining down on this world, and that every person is being beckoned into. For anyone who has trusted in Jesus, um, it's like the storm has passed. It's like the clouds have cleared, the rain has stopped, and now the sun has broken through and everything is bathed in light. Uh, and, yeah, bathed in, in the light of the love of God. But many of us, for whom that is true, many of us who are trusting in Jesus and for whom that is our reality, find ourselves, for whatever reason, still stuck inside. Trusting Jesus, but not quite actually living in the reality of the love of God. And this can be for any number of reasons. Um, it might be that we've just never really thought about it. Uh, it might be that we we just don't particularly think this is an important aspect of the Christian life. Um, it might be that we think this is 
this is a bit sort of wishy-washy 21st century me and my feelings. Um, not something that, that is really important in Christianity. For others, there can be complexities surrounding love and relationships in general, sometimes due to past experiences that can make comprehending the love of God complicated. For most of us, there is there's something. But for all of us, there is hope. Um, this is what we said last week, and it's worth saying it again. Uh, this passage from Ephesians, um, Ephesians 3, that will be on the screen. Uh, for all of us, there is hope. We saw last week from this passage in Ephesians um, that God wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to pray this prayer. He wants us to know how much he loves us. And he is able to answer this prayer. It's a prayer that, that, we, that needs power to answer. Um, he says it again and again, that you have power to know. Um, so whatever, whatever reason it is for us, uh, it's not insurmountable. Um, God is able to do, at the bottom there, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God is able to answer this prayer for each one of us. So there is hope for every single one of us. And the most important thing we can do is pray. The most important thing we can do when it comes to this is pray. Ask God, help me to know your love. For, for many people, and this is definitely true for me, and true for lots of people that I've spoken to, and what we're going to focus on tonight, what keeps us, what can keep us from living in that reality is that we're not actually fully convinced that God's ongoing love for us really is unconditional. We're not actually convinced that God's ongoing love for us is unconditional. We might be convinced that it's unconditional when someone becomes a Christian, but not necessarily that it stays unconditional. It's like we think that's, that's just too good to be true. There's, there's got to be some kind of catch. We know that salvation is by faith alone. We happily affirm that. But also, rightly, we know that the Bible has lots to say about the importance of obedience. And we've heard things like, yes, God loves and forgives you, but that doesn't mean that you're allowed to just take it for granted, and, and you still need to be fighting sin. And we can't help but wonder if God's love and grace really are actually unconditional, or if, if actually we need to be behaving in a certain way to keep it. And if, and if we're not doing that, then whether actually we're in danger of losing it, or maybe we've already lost it. And then, when we do find ourselves sinning, often and sometimes badly, and often in repeated ways, we start to lose confidence that God does really love us like that still. We're unsure, we're uncertain, and unintentionally, we find ourselves staying inside the house, watching the sun outside through the windows. We can be a bit like um, orphan children uh, whose lives have been so hard and so unsteady for so long that when they finally do find themselves in a loving home with a loving family, uh, they find that they struggle to trust that it's real and trust that it's actually going to last. And therefore, find themselves holding back from giving themselves fully to the love that they've been brought into. 
We can live the Christian life without actually living in the reality of the loving relationship that we have been brought into. And that is a tragedy, because knowing this love, believing it, is crucial to our flourishing. It's crucial to us being all that God wants us to be. It's not what God wants for us. The Christian author, Brennan Manning, talks about the need for our deepest hearts to be converted from mistrust to trust. Has your heart been converted from mistrust to trust? Do you really trust that God loves you like this? I'm speaking very much as someone who um, struggles with this and lives in the tension of this. I find it hard to really believe that God loves me and to really live in that reality. God doesn't want us to stay in that place. If that's where we find ourselves, God doesn't want us to stay inside. God is calling us out into the sunshine, into the fresh air. The cross is where God has demonstrated that love um, most clearly, as we were talking about last week. But God really, really, really wants us to get this. And um, so there are countless places in the Bible where he has made this clear um, again and again and again. And one is the parable uh, that um, Becky read for us just now and uh, that we're going to think about. Um, the parable, parable that Jesus told, story that Jesus told. So um, in this parable, Luke 15, there's a father who has two sons. And one day, the younger son comes to his father and says, I don't want to live here with you anymore. I don't want to have to, die. I don't want to, have to wait until you die to have your stuff either. I want it now. And I want to leave. And I want to live the way I want to live. Essentially, he's saying that he wants his father dead. He wishes his father was dead already. And so he leaves. Uh, his father gives him his share of the inheritance. He takes it uh, and leaves without a second thought, without looking back. Cuts all ties with his father. Travels off into a far country where he doesn't live wisely and respectfully of the gift that his father has given, but lives wildly. Uh, drinking, parties, prostitutes, we're told. Until, eventually, the money runs out, his friends abandon him, he hits rock bottom, and he's in a bad way. And we see him longing to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And he's got nothing to eat. He is entirely at rock bottom. At which point, driven, probably it seems, more by need than by actual sorrow, he decides to return home, to come crawling back, and he comes up with an apology that he thinks might, maybe, enable him to, to get inside the door and to at least just live on the estate as a servant. But as he's journeying, he knows that it's a very real possibility that his father might totally reject him. That he, when he gets there, he might meet with a locked door. He's convinced that he's going to be met with anger and with coldness. 
And the crowd who are hearing Jesus' story at this point um, would have assumed that that would absolutely be the case. They would have totally assumed uh, that the father would have put the son out of his mind, out of his heart and life, uh, and basically disowned him um, and be acting with absolutely no regard for his, for ever having had a son at all. But the father of Jesus' story could not be more different to that. This father, we see, is watching and waiting anxiously, day after day, against all hope, with a love that is undimmed, desperate to see his son come round the corner and across the fields, day after day, waiting. And then, one day, he sees him. And he can't contain himself. He is so full of love that he doesn't wait for his son to get there, but he runs in a way that uh, a dignified father in that culture would um, never do. And when he reaches his son, he doesn't even let him speak. He just throws his arms around him and kisses him. And the son is held by his father in shock. And he tries shakily to get his speech out. But his father doesn't even let him finish. He doesn't need his son's apology. He just needs his son. He just wants his son back. He is utterly joyful. And so much so that he calls immediately for celebration, for a, for a party. He's not afraid to show everybody this lavish love and forgiveness. Even though everyone else would have thought, what on earth are you doing receiving your son back like that? He's not afraid to show people. He wants to throw a party. He doesn't want this to be private. He wants this to be public. He wants everyone to know how much he loves his son. All that the son has done has not changed the love for him in his father's heart. Um, this is a picture by an artist called Charlie Mackesy. And it's a picture of that moment when the prodigal son returns. Is, is this the picture that you have in your head and your heart of God and how God thinks about you. This is the God that Jesus is trying to teach us. This is how God feels about us. And this is the same love that we see on the cross. This is the light that is shining on us, on you. Total, unconditional love. Love regardless of what you've done. And if you've not heard that before, if you didn't know that's what Christianity was all about, that this is what the God of the Bible is like, then this love is for you. He loves you. He died for you. And you can know this God. Simply by trusting in Jesus. He is offering himself to you. But, says the little voice, does God really actually love us like this? Most of us are happy to believe that God treats us like this when we become Christians. That God says to us, it doesn't matter what you've done in your past, I love you and I forgive you and now it's okay and now you're mine. Many of us find it far harder to 
really believe that God might then say, and I will always love you like this, no matter what you do. Subtly, once we've become, once we've been Christians for a while, the parameters in our thinking can start to change. As we said, we know that obedience matters to God. We know that fighting sin rightly matters to God. And we hear those messages like, yes, God loves you, God forgives you, but don't take it for granted. It doesn't mean you can just do what you want. And our natural instinct to believe that people will only love us if we earn it finds it the easiest thing in the world to creep back in. And we move from simply believing that God loves us because he loves us and always will to believing that he goes on loving me because I try to trust him, because I try to obey him, because I try to fight sin. So that's... that's what's keeping me in his love. That's, that's why he loves me and why he'll go on loving me. And then because we're aware uh, that we don't trust him in the way that we should and we don't obey him very well and we knowingly give in to the same old sins far more often than we want to admit, we lose confidence that God does actually love us anymore. And we start to believe that if, if he does and if, if he does still accept us, then it's a grudging kind of acceptance. He's more sort of tolerating us. And his posture, his attitude towards us is one of severity, one of sternness and vague disapproval. And as soon as we start operating in that paradigm, we lose the joy that should be ours as children of God. That is not where God wants us. That's where the enemy wants us. If, if the enemy can't stop us from being saved, then he'll try everything he can to distort our view of God and to stop us living in the reality of what God has brought us into through the gospel. To keep us locked in our houses instead of living in the sunlight. Nothing less than believing in unconditional love will set our hearts free. And God says, do not listen to the enemy. Do not listen to your own heart. I will always love you. My love for you will not change. It doesn't matter what you do, or how weak your faith is, or how bad you are at obeying me, or how many times you sin, or how often or how far you wander from me. You cannot change it. I will always be watching for you. More than that, I will be chasing after you. And whenever you turn back to me, I will always be there, throwing my arms around you. But this feels too good to be true, surely. How do we know? How do we know? How do we know for sure that this is actually true? Firstly, the cross. We keep going back there. This is the love that we see at the cross. This is not different to that. The love of the cross is the love that embraces us in our sin and sees us as sinners and still gives everything for us. And the love that the cross reveals never changes. God goes on loving us with that love 
undimmed. Why, why would it change? That is what God is willing to do for us at our absolute worst. The Bible makes that really clear. We couldn't have been worse than we were when Jesus died for us. And that's what he was willing to do for us then. That's Paul's point in Romans 5, verse 8. Um, this is how God uh, demonstrated his love among us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's, that's the whole point. This is how much God loves you. He died for you when you're at your worst. So if he did that then, why would he, why would he treat us differently now? Secondly, the second way we can know that this is true, again, is the cross. Um, but this time, specifically, the achievement of the cross. What Jesus achieved at the cross. Uh, next slide. At, at the cross, 1 John 4, 9-10. Uh, at the cross, Jesus paid for all our sin. Past and future. Uh, he took it all on himself, and it's gone. It's done. Um, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was sent as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The, the price that our sins deserve has been paid. Jesus has paid it. His sacrifice has paid for all our sins. The punishment that was deserved has been taken. He took all our sin, all our guilt, past and future, on himself. And it's gone. And so, Jeremiah 31, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. God has chosen not to remember our sin. God has chosen not to count our sin against us. Um, as Lewis and Abby prayed earlier, God has, God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And our sin and its consequences were the only, uh, the only things that could possibly come between us and the love of God. God, God is like, God's love is like the sun. That is who God is. God is pouring out unceasing, ever-constant love as the sun pours out life. He is unchanging. Our sin is the only thing that can, that can cut us off from that. Our sin is like, like the clouds that can, that can come across and cut us off from that. But Jesus has completely removed those clouds. Jesus has completely removed that sin. And so now we, we can stand, bask in the light of the eternal love of God. We can't sin enough or in such a way that would bring those clouds back. We can't do it. Jesus' sacrifice is uh, the price that he paid. Too complete. He's done it all. And more than that, more than just taking our sin and guilt, Jesus has given us something in return. The cross is a swap. It's a two-way thing. Jesus takes our guilt and our sin, and he gives us his righteousness, his perfect life. The Bible talks about us being clothed in the, in the righteousness of Christ, the perfect life of Jesus. And what that means is, when we sin, 
God has made it so that he can treat us as if we hadn't sinned. And that applies every single time. And that is why he's able to just keep on loving us regardless of what we do. So firstly, the cross shows us just how much God loves us. And secondly, it's, it's at the cross that God has made it so that we can live secure in the reality of that love without fear that we can change it by anything that we do or don't do. He loves us with an unconditional love that we cannot change. And we receive all of this by faith. Simply by faith. And all that that means is by turning to Jesus in our hearts. And all that that means really is just thinking about him and saying yes. Yes to the unconditional love that he is offering. And that isn't a string that's attached. That that is literally just saying yes to what is being offered. And that faith can be as small as a mustard seed, Jesus says. Nothing more than a weak and uncertain choice to open your hand to him. And even if there are times in our life when that faith fails and we turn away from him, whenever we turn back to him, he will still be there, arms outstretched, ready to receive us again. John Newton, the, uh, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader before he became a Christian, um, said this. But when, after long experience of their own deceitful hearts, he's talking about Christians here, after repeated proofs of their weakness, willfulness, ingratitude, insensibility, they find that none of these things can separate them from the love of God in Christ. Jesus becomes more precious to their soul. His point is, it's, it's, it's only after we go on as Christians and realize that, yeah, no matter what I do, he's still there. No matter what I throw at him, he's still loving me in exactly the same way. That's when we start to, to really trust that maybe this is true. Maybe he really does love me like that. And Jesus becomes more and more precious to us. It's only really believing and feeling safe in this kind of love that, that can cause a heart to find joy in God, and joy in Christ. So, the sun is shining. And there's really nothing more to do than to step out into it and to enjoy it. If anything has been holding you back from him and from his love, Go to him. Come outside. Move from mistrust to trust. Receive the joy that God wants you to find in trusting his unconditional love. I've been really struck this week and really helped by a verse at the end of uh, the book Song of Songs um, in the Old Testament. Um, chapter 8, verse 7. Uh, it's on, on your handouts, but... It, it just says, many waters cannot quench love. And I believe that this is what the cross says to each of us. This is what God wants to say to me and to each one of us here tonight. I will always love you, no matter what you do. Whenever you come back to me, I will be there. Many waters cannot quench love.
we're going to spend some time um, responding to, to all of this um, in song. I'm going to sing a couple of songs. If, if you want to respond by singing, then go for it. Um, if you want to spend some time just, just sitting, thinking about this, um, or just praying, um, then feel completely free to do that as well.